Though I never lose affection for people and things that went before, I know I'll often stop and think about them, but in my life, I love you more, sings the Beatles. The stories told here today by Don Ray Smith and the wandering storytellers are often about friends, people, and things that went before. We here at Solution to Balance think you are going to enjoy listening to a myriad of stories told by Don Ray Smith and the Wondering Storytellers, sponsored by the Kentucky Storytellers Association. Welcome, friends. We are Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM. You are listening to Solution to Balance, a program sponsored by WFMP Radio. I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan. We are your host for Solutions to Violence. Following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational program. The views expressed are those of our guests, not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you may contact us by sending us an email to solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest today is Don Ray Smith, Mary Hamilton, Ray Mendenhall, and guests from the Kentucky Storytellers Association's Wondering Storytellers. Don Ray Smith is the author of the books, Phil My Humorist, and Kentucky Shorts, as well as Race Book or How He Found His Nebian Princess. And the autobiographical works will be published this summer, the summer of 2022, Wilson Avenue and the Land of No Return. Don Smith is today's keynote speaker. The storytelling event took place in Hunter Presbyterian Church in downtown Lexington. The Reverend Ray Mendenhall will introduce Don Ray Smith. So we are privileged and pleased as punk. <laughs> To have tonight celebrated author, consummist humorist, and a paragon of Facebook wisdom. You're at church. Because tonight, for our featured teller, we have the remarkable, the wonderful, and the uh, wacky, wacky creativity. It's a little, sometimes it's wacky, creativity of Don Ray Smith. So let's welcome Don Ray. And, uh, I hope you just. Thank you all. It's nice to be here. New venue for, for me. I haven't been here yet, so it's different. Thank you, Ray, for making this available. How about something different for a story? How about a story about a book? You know, we all know every single book has stories, but how about a story about a book? Do you all remember your very first library book? Your very first one you checked out? I do. I was probably in the third or fourth grade back in Louisville. My parents took us all to the local library, which was the Parkland Branch Library. And I remember, I don't know about you all, but I, when I walked in to me and saw all those shelves full of adventure and stories and people who did exciting things, that was my cathedral. That was my mecca. So when I got a chance... I got a library card, and I went into the library the first time with that library card and looked at all those books, and I'm thinking, which one am I going to pick? Look at all these books. And I looked, and I looked, and I finally found one. Look at that. Miss Pickerel Goes to Mars. Hey, I'm an, I'm an eight-year-old student, right? Here's Mars. On the front of the book, there's a rocket ship pointed straight up like it's ready to blast off. And right next to the rocket ship, here's a little old lady, wire glasses, an apron. And she's standing with the rocket ship in the middle of a field on a farm. And she's holding a cow <laughs> on a rope. Rocket ship, Mars, little old lady, cow. I'm thinking to myself, what is in this book? i got to find out. So that was my very first book. 
checked it out, took it home, read it, and it was great. Now here's the second part of my story about a book. There is the exact book I checked out. No, I didn't steal it. <laughs> Although it still has the library book jacket, even has the uh, little place where the pocket used to be. I didn't steal it though. Here's the really weird thing about this story. 60 years later, after I checked this book out in 1957, Miss Pickrell and I wound up at the same flea market. And this time, I bought her book. What are the odds? But that's my story about a book. And I loan that out, but just to certain people. Totally different. How about this? Don't you think that everybody wants to connect with other people? Don't you think that everybody wants to find a common ground of some kind? I do. Happened to me starting way back in the 11th grade in chemistry class. Here comes my teacher, Mrs. Luther, not her real name. She has a handful of small pieces of white paper in her hand. She makes her announcement. All right, class, we're going to pass out litmus paper. Every single student gets a piece of litmus paper. When I tell you go, I want you to stick your piece of litmus paper in your mouth. Hey, this is 1960s. The teacher tells you to stick paper in your mouth. You stick paper in your mouth. <laughs> so she passes it out. She says, go. Kids stick it in the mouth. <coughs> they are spitting. They're gagging. This is like tasting a sour, sour lemon. And I'm looking around. Everybody in the classroom is gagging, spitting, <laughs> coughing. And I'm chewing. What's wrong with these people? What kind of problem do they have? Chewing away, there's nothing wrong. This paper tastes like paper. And I'm looking around, and I see there's one other person who's chewing away like I am. No big deal. Cheryl, the prettiest, blondest cheerleader in the whole school. Hey, hey, one boy and one girl. We got a match here, Cheryl and me. Who would have thought it? My saliva and her saliva. <laughs> Children, a house, everything. So I keep my eyes on Cheryl while she chews away, still taking a survey to see who else is chewing like we are. Nobody. Finally, she makes eye contact with me, and I'm chewing and looking right at her, trying to chew meaningful. She sees me and freezes. And then Cheryl, who has to understand this is the perfect match. This is a perfect chemical bond here between us. She has to understand that. She looks at me and with no doubt at all in her expression, she says to me, don't make me vomit, creep. <laughs> and then she takes her paper and drops it on her desk for a final little hammer. I don't have any doubt at all as to the reason why I flunked chemistry class. Cheryl, when she broke that bond, made me lose all of my confidence in chemistry. <laughs> and that's my story.
Now I have a little costume change for my third piece, which is a little bit longer. First of all, I have to put on my no bull cap and my professional style fishing sunglasses. Polarized, by the way. How can you be a fisherman without a... So, here we go. You folks ready for a story? Yeah. How about a fishing story? Yeah. Got one for you. Hold that for me, will you, ma'am? Well, sir, there I was, Cleet Babcock Jr. That'd be Cleet Babcock Sr.'s boy, for those of you who live outside the county. Rolling down two lanes of Kentucky blacktop on the way to that lake. You know, there's a reason why people from way up north, from places like Michigan and Louisville, come down here to Kentucky whenever they get a chance. The lake, friends. Tell me there ain't no heaven on earth, not when I got the lake. Just imagine. The sun is just peeking up over the horizon. The birds are twittering away in the trees and the air. Man, that air smells like fresh cut hay. In 10 minutes, I'm going to be at the lake going to be a bobbing up and down in one of my favorite little fishing coves. Going to have three fishing poles in the water. Just daring that bass and crappie not to come to my bait. Fish and water and me and my boat. There's nothing like it. Heaven on earth and peace and quiet. Now, oh, if you're wondering, yeah, I got a wife. Have had now for two years now. Well, she says she understands, and I take her at her word. So every Friday afternoon, if the weather's decent, or even if it's halfway decent, I'll leave my job at the warehouse and go home and put my paycheck in that sweet little hand to Donna Jean's. That's my wife's name, Donna Jean. Well, Donna Jean gives me that big smile, you know, says we're a team. You know what I'm saying? And then we commence to making romance. Well, we do after I take my good fishing gear, put it in the toolbox of my truck, Take the cheap fishing gear, put it in the back of the truck, take the truck, hook, hook it up to the boat, aim that truck toward the county road. Then we commence to making romance. Well, son, before you know it, the morning doves are cooing, and I got the old lady giving her one last squeeze out on that front porch. And then I'm a-crunching down the gravel road toward the lake while she's standing back there on the porch trying to figure out how many ways she can spend that paycheck out on the bypass. Well, sir, I'm about 10 minutes from home, about 10 more minutes to get to the lake, and I am driving down the road, and I go around this big curve, and I see that big yellow sign I see every time. Got the black line down the middle, looks like a black squiggly snake. What's that telling me, friends? Curves. Who said curves? You're exactly right. Not only that, the curves are leading down to the lake, so the road is dropping on me. So anyway, I start taking them curves, one after another, one after another, no problem. And then I go around a big curve, decide I'd better tap on that brake a little bit, slow down, I'm going too fast. So I hit that brake, guess what happens, friends? Nothing, that's what. And I'm going faster and faster around these curves, one after another, after another. So now, listen. I'm going so fast, all my cheap gears already fell out of my boat all over the county, and that boat hitch is screeching like a burned cat. All the while, I'm going faster and faster, and, and then I hear somebody say, that dang Bobby. Bobby's my brother-in-law. 
I paid him $50 just last week to put brakes on my truck. This is what I got. I got no brakes. And I'm going faster and faster and a zigging and zagging and zagging and zigging around all them curves. And I know I only got one curve left before I make it to the straightaway and safety. So I suck around that curve and hit that straightaway and lordy, right in front of me, here's a big bubble of asphalt. Must have come up with yesterday's heat. Well, it's plain to see I can't go around it. I got to take it on. So here we go, boys. Me, my truck, and my boat, we hit that asphalt going, I'm saying, 80 mile an hour. We'll make it 100, because if I'm lying, I'm dying. People in my county know I don't exaggerate. I hit that at 100 mile an hour, and me and my truck and my boat all go airborne, all on our own little carnival ride. We must have flew a half a mile, and we'll make that a mile and a half, because people know if they can't trust me, they can't trust anybody. And when we come down, boom, it sounded like I had a bomb going off. But you know what, neighbors? I'm still on the road. Ain't busted a single tire. And I'm thinking to myself, Hoss, you dodged a bullet on that one. And then I see up ahead of me more trees and more, a couple more curves and a couple more curves. I can't get over it. And then I happen to shoot a look up at my rearview mirror and sweet Jesus, the lid to my toolbox has come up. And it's flapping up and down like a bird wing. I can't lose my good fishing gear. Listen, neighbors, I got my best graphite rod back there. I got my three best reels, including my tin ball bearing beauty with a titanium plated line roller. I got my, all my best lures, my jigs, my spooners, my hula poppers, my nail tails, my monkey pukes. I can't lose all of them. Well, like I said, folks, I ain't much of a churchgoer. But that's when I started praying. Lord, I know I could have been a better husband to Donna Jean. Didn't have to go on all those fishing trips without her. Could have invited her. Could have been a little more civil to those fishermen out there instead of cussing them for getting within a half a mile of me. But Lord, I swear, if you just see fit to push that lid down, I swear I'll be a better husband. I'll take Donna Jean on more fishing trips with me. I'll, well, I'll even start going to church more often. And friends, you ain't going to believe it. I look back in that rearview mirror again, and here comes that lid to that toolbox back down. Just like an angel was back there in my truck bed using its mighty hand to push that lid back down just to keep everything safe. Everything that meant something to me, right then, I knew. I knew something a lot bigger than me was in charge of my toolbox. 60 yards later, we jackknifed into a stand of shagbark hickory, went down in this little ravine, dead in the water, so to speak. Well, wasn't no doubt about it, my $60,000 boat was torn all to heck, totaled. Boat all torn up, that was 30000 tore up my, where they go, tore up my very favorite polarized professional fishing sunglasses, see that? But on a positive note, although I was in a daze, I saw that no personal damage was done to me. 
other than this little dislocated left shoulder, right shoulder. Had a gash across my forehead, but had a butterfly bandage in my glove box, so I popped that on. That slowed down a lot of the bleeding. Lost two front teeth, but I knew where I could find them. They was stuck right there in the middle of my steering wheel. <laughs> I had to find out about my toolbox. I spun around, kicked that door open, climbed up on top of my truck, looked down, and hallelujah, it was still down. I reached down, pulled up on that latch, and that lid opened easy as pie. There was all my gear. All jumbled up for sure, but still in good shape. I reached down, touched that graphite rod, gave it some love. And I reached down and picked out my favoritest reel, that, <laughs> that pinball bearing duty with a titanium plated line rollers. I don't mind telling you people, some tears were shed that day. <clears throat> Ten minutes later, I saw that the bleeding was mostly stopped, and then it hits me. Hey, I say to myself, I can walk to the lake from here. See ya. <laughs> so that's all of me for now. Folks, you're listening to Solutions of Balance. We air on WFMP 106.5 FM radio. Mary Hamilton from the Kentucky Storytellers Association We'll introduce the second half of today's Wandering Storytellers event. In Frankfort, Kentucky, starting March 29th, there will be eight months of storytelling once a month for adult audiences. The storytellers are coming in from all over the country. Each storyteller will tell for about 45 to 60 minutes maximum. And then the audience will have up to 30 minutes of time available to talk with each other and talk with each other mainly about how does this thing called storytelling, how does it inform us about what it means to be human? which I happen to think is what storytelling is really about. And the first storyteller who's going to be presenting on March 29th, that's a Tuesday, starting at 6 p.m. at Paul Sawyer Public Library in Frankfurt. And because it's a public library, that makes it a free event. The first storyteller is Andy Offit Irwin. Andy lives in Covington, Georgia. He tells a wide range of stories, but on that particular evening, he's going to be telling an evening with Dr. Marguerite Van Camp. Dr. Marguerite Van Camp is a fictional character that Andy invented. She's an 85-year-old widow who got bored, and so she decided to go, go to medical school and become a doctor. And she's established a hospital, and occasionally she will hear from her dead husband, whose name is Charles. And so this is an evening with Marguerite Van Camp. And Aunt Marguerite has all kinds of different adventures. So that's the March program. To give you an idea of a bit of the variety, April's program is Thursday, April 23rd, and that storyteller is Ray Christian. Ray Christian lives in Boone, North Carolina. Ray has won over 12 moth storytelling grand slams. He tells stories from his life. 
and the way Ray describes his life is that he grew up in a ghetto in Richmond, Virginia. He has a very powerful story that he tells about his parents giving him books, making sure he had books, even though neither of his parents had ever had the opportunity to learn to read. So he was encountered some very interesting books that many children might not ordinarily encounter, and he tells about that very well. He is also a retired paratrooper, a storyteller. He's been an adjunct professor at Appalachian State teaching black history, and he has a podcast called What's Ray Sayin', in which Ray talks about the contemporary world, especially in issues related to racism, black history, and how our world doesn't quite really work like it should for everybody. So there will be a big variety in the storytellers, and that's deliberate. And that's how it fits with the title, Story by Story. So story by story, month by month, I hope you'll come out, hear stories, and be encouraged to think more and more and more about what it means to be human and to share our humanity with each other. That's kind of the goal. Yes, ma'am. They're all in Frankfurt. It's all at the public library in Frankfurt. They are the, the ones doing the publicity for it. And by kind of partnering with the public library, that's what helps makes it all free. And, and it's, uh, the library is fully accessible. And there will be an American Sign Language interpreter at every event. And the August event will be a bilingual storyteller telling in Spanish and English. And there will be a sign language interpreter, and there will be a Spanish interpreter for the library announcements, so nobody will be left out. I'm excited about it. Flyers over there. Um, yep, there's a flyer, and I'm pretty sure that if you go to kystory.org and look on the calendar, you'll find them there too. So, and there's a lot of other storytelling that's on our calendar. Okay, somebody got a story they just dying to tell. Well, hi. My name is Nancy Bogardis, and I live in Frankfort, Kentucky. I need to tell you something about the Franklin County Plant Board. I have never spoken more highly of a utility than the Franklin County Plant Board until today. I got home from running errands. I looked at my mail, and there was this big envelope marked urgent, and I opened it up. There was a snapshot picture of my cat drinking out of the tank of my toilet. And I thought, wait a minute, who came in my apartment and took this picture? And why is my cat drinking out of this tank? She's got water over here in her dish. I was just shocked. And there was a number to call and they said, you must call today or you are in danger of your water being cut off. And I thought, well, how much water did my cat drink? <laughs> I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, what is going on here? So I call him up and this lady answers. And I said, I am Nancy Bogardis. And I got this urgent letter about my cat drinking out of my toilet tank. And I want to know, number one, who came in my apartment and took that picture? And how much water can she drink? And the lady on the other end goes, just calm down, just calm down. I will take care of it. I am the consultant on your case. I have been assigned especially to you because of malfeasance. I said, what? What malfeasance? We do not have anyone drinking out of toilet tanks 
that is signed up with the Franklin County Plant Board. That is not allowed. And I said, well, I'm sure she had help. She can't get the lid off the tank by herself. Somebody had to open that for her, number one. And somebody had to be in here taking that picture. What is going on? Well, I cannot answer for that. You are the owner of that cat person. She is a cat. She is not a person. She doesn't think that far ahead. <laughs> I was just amazed and embarrassed and still wondering who took that picture. Who's been rifling their hand through my drawers? I just, you know, I'm just going, what is the deal here? Well, the lady on the other end, I said, what is your name, ma'am? My name is Fafi. I said, Fafi? I said, did I hear that right? She said, yes, it's Fafi. I said, how do you spell Fafi? She said, well, of course, it is F-I-F-I, Fafi. I said, okay. I said, I've seen that before, but it was pronounced Fifi. She said, really, Miss Bogartis? Do you think a woman of my importance in their adult years is going to allow someone to call them Fifi? So I have changed it to Fafi. I said, okay, okay. And I said, you still haven't answered my question. Who took the picture of my cat drinking out of the toilet tank? Well, a well-meaning, informed citizen sent us that picture. I said, well, who is it? Their identity remains anonymous for their protection. I said, wait a minute. You have added me. You have added my cat. You have a picture of my cat doing this malfeasance, supposedly. And you're getting ready to cut off my water for this malfeasance. Who is it? I can't name names, but I've heard their nickname could be Speedy. I said, what? And the only thing that came to my mind, there's an 80-year-old man that lives across the hall from me, and he was always wanting me to cook him something, and I didn't want to fool with him, so I said, no. You know, get somebody else to cook something for you, or go to the drive-thru. And I thought, he has a little bicycle, and he's got a little tag on it that says Speedy. And then the light came on, and I thought, how did he get in my apartment? So I said, how did this well-meaning citizen get in my apartment? And Fafi goes, well, Miss Bogartis, that is for me to know and you to find out. But the bottom line is here, you must tell your cat to cease and desist today. And I said, well... I said, I will get something and strap that toilet tank lid down. <laughs> and there will be no more water drinking by my cat out of that tank. But you can rest assured, old Speedy's tires may not be as happy to go on his bicycle as they used to be. And thank you, Fafi, for your information. Click. That's the Franklin County Plant Board. Deborah Kumar, all the way from Georgetown. Georgetown, all the way. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, I'll do something a little Irish today. I'll tell you a story, a folk tale based on Noah's Ark that actually is, it's a, a common European folk tale, but a while back, several years ago, I basically stuck it in a poem, and so I've been performing it now for, I don't know, 10 years? <laughs> I don't know if it's been that long. Seems like it, but it may not have been that long. So I'll tell you one. Did you ever hear tale of old Noah's Ark? All covered with pitch and gopher wood bark. 
how the devil slipped in, quiet as a mouse, which he'd turned himself into to invade Noah's house. Now he snuck himself on and he started to chew, just a wee hole for to sink Noah's whole crew. The devil himself had been pleased to find that the good Lord was washing away all mankind, but that Noah was spared gave that devil an itch to chew him a hole in the wood and the pitch. A hole just the size to sink the whole horde. <laughs> that one would want up his score on the Lord. But old Noah's keen ears heard that mouse-chewing racket, and he told that mouse devil, you'd better just pack it. But the mouse, he ignored him and chewed on a bit till the mouse hole got wet and it wasn't mouse spit. Then old Noah, he threw his fur glove in the air and it flew up and spun round and wiggled up there and out popped a head, four paws and a tail, two bright shining eyes and a murderous wail. Then that big hairy cat grabbed that mouse by the neck. At this point, the old devil was noted to murmur, Ah, oh, heck. <laughs> then he swallowed him down quick as a wink. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think? And now you know why. From this day to that, there's a bit of the devil inside every cat. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. This is my friend Roger Guffey. He's a member here, and uh, he's come to join us. So. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I've been able to get here for some time, and Brain told me you're going to be here. I can be here. So, I'm Roger Guffey. I'm from Wayne County. I've been here in Lexington since '82. So I've written three books, but wow. well, you know, they're got to do something with you, Tom. <laughs> but I think most of you will agree that the classic American storyteller is Mark Twain. If you've never read Roughing It, you should. I laughed until my sides split because it's his stories about going out west. But he also had a short essay about how to tell a humorous story. And this is one of those nice, clean stories that you can tell anywhere. And it's just a scream. So the story goes, there's a war going on and a young soldier is shot in the leg and he can't walk. So he's crying for help, and one of his compatriots sees him, and he picks him up on his back, and is running back to the camp. And he's so busy dodging bullets, he doesn't understand or see that a cannonball has come by and clipped the man's head right off his shoulders. So he's dodging the bullets, and he runs into the camp, and this general meets him and says, Private, where are you going with that body? He's not dead, sir. He's just wounded. And the general says, son, can't you see his head has gone completely off? And so the soldier says, well, he told me he was shot in the leg. <laughs> Indeed, shot in the leg. Well, that one's so short, I'll tell something Irish for St. Patrick's Day. Fergus McNally. He's not what you'd call an industrious man. Oh, he liked money well enough. 
His work he didn't care for, and he only did it when he had to. So you can imagine that Fergus thought his luck had changed when he, when he found one of the little wee people, a leprechaun, you know, right there in the middle of old McBurney's field. A little leprechaun just sitting there, smoking his pipe, drinking his ale. Hey, Fergus said, I gotcha. And the little man looked up and said, so you have, but if you were paying attention to what you should be paying attention to, Fergus, you'd know your best cow was about to get out of your field. So Fergus turned around to look back towards his farm, but right before he took his eyes off the wee man, he remembered. If you take your eyes off a leprechaun that you've caught out in the open, he'll disappear whoo, like a puff of smoke. Ha, <laughs> Fergus said, you can't fool me. I know all the ways of the little people. The little man said, then you'll be wanting me gold. He said, die, and you have to show me where it is. And it was true because that was part of the leprechaun gold. If you catch a leprechaun out in the open, he has to show you where his gold is. So the little man, he says, come along. And Fergus silent him. They went down, down across the field and over, over the stream and around the corner. And they stepped into a glade with, with, full, of, full of thistles, a hundred or more. And the little man went over and he took, looked at one of the thistles. He says, my gold is under this thistle right here. <laughs> Fergus was elated. But he remembered two things. One was he didn't have a shovel. And he had to go all the way back to his farm to get one and come back. And if he had to go all the way back to his farm to get a shovel, well, he had to mark the thistle that was, had the gold underneath it. So he reached down and he took a tassel off his shoe, off his sock, and he wrapped around a blue tassel around the thistle. And then he said to the wee man, he says, now you have to promise me, you have to promise me that you'll not touch me blue tassel. The little leprechaun cross me little leprechaun heart, I'll not touch your blue tassel. And you have to promise me, you have to promise me that you'll never move your gold. He said, cross me little leprechaun heart, I'll never move my gold. And it was true because if a leprechaun gave his word, he had to keep it. So Fergus took off and walked across the field and went all the way back to his farm. And all the way over and all the way back, he began to think about how he was going to spend his great wealth. So he came across the field and over the stream and around the corner and in the glade. And his countenance fell. For there... In the glade was a hundred thistles, each one with a blue tassel. Ah, Fergus said, you can't trust the wee people. They're slippery as eels. And so they are. I'll do one more teeny little promo, those of you who are so very in love with Irish stories. The final, the October... Story by story, storyteller Yvonne Healy, who immigrated from Ireland to America when she was eight years old. Still goes back to Ireland, visits relatives, and because she's on in October, she's going to be telling Irish ghost stories. Oh, my. That's what she wants to tell with Halloween. So let's welcome back Don Ray Smith, uh, ever entertaining. You're exactly right about stories dealing in humanity and human experience. Every uh, story I tell has a root in some sort of connection. That fishing story, for example, was inspired by my brother-in-law, who lived in Columbia, Kentucky. And he not only lived to fish, he fished to live, literally. I've got two short stories, one positive and one negative, and you have to figure out which one is which. 
and a longer piece at the end. When I was preschool, I'm really going back tonight, when I was pre-grade school, my grandmother had a birthday. And as was the custom back then, she made my grandmother a birthday cake. As was the custom back then, you did not have a birthday party. You had the family together for just a little get-together. My mother baked the cake because, heck, we weren't rich. You couldn't go buy a store-bought cake. So she made the cake. She even put the little squiggly icing on the top with my grandmother's birth age. Now, since this was back in olden times, the adults gathered in the living room to sit down around the table with my grandmother. The kids stood up wherever they could find a place to stand up. But I walked up to the cake and looked at it. My gosh, 46. <laughs> How can anybody be that old? 46. My gosh, that was unbelievable. Fast forward to today. I go to a store. That 46-year-old punk at the counter, I didn't say punk, but you get the idea. Age is all in the perspective, which takes me to my second story, which may or may not be positive or negative, like a battery. 30 years, not 30 years ago, I was 30 when I took a camper and I drove out to California. I was going to be a TV writer. True story. TV writer. I was going to write TV sitcoms. I knew I could do as good as Laverne and Shirley. Come on. So I went out there and I stayed in a little pop-up camper by myself in the San Fernando Valley, just outside Los Angeles proper. I didn't make it. I invested three months. And after I got home, I learned, thanks very much for doing my research, I learned you had to invest more like three years because so much is about networking, making connections, letting people know you're not out there on a lark and can't wait to get back home. But while I was out there, I visited my wife's great uncle. My wife's great uncle lived in a place called Escondido, which was a town just north of San Diego, 100 miles from Los Angeles. We called him Uncle Homer because that's what his name was. So I drove one day to Escondido to visit Uncle Homer, and he took me to the San Diego Wild Animal Park. I don't know what you know about San Diego Wild Animal Park. This was either the first or one of the first open-air zoos in America. No cages. The animals were in their natural habitat as well as they could be constructed. We went out in this replicated Serengeti, which was a huge replicated area, hundreds of acres. They had giraffe, rhino, gazelle, big animals. We actually went in a tram that took you through it, so you rolled right past some of these animals. It was kind of like Jurassic Park, except you couldn't open the doors. So after that, he looks at the little schedule and he says, hey, they've got a peregrine falcon show. You want to go? Do I want to go? Peregrine falcons are the fastest birds in the world. They can dive 240 miles an hour after their prey. So we went, went to this 
big amphitheater. And here they've got this enormously high pole and that falcon's sitting at the top waiting for his signal. His trainer's down here. There's a tray not far from the bottom of that pole with a scrap of meat on it, raw meat for that bird. So the peregrine falcon's waiting for his signal. All the trainer did was boom! Thing drops down 200 and something miles an hour, hits that tray, scoops up the meat, lurches back up into the air, and heads off to another perch to enjoy his treat. And the crowd's ooing and eyeing. They can't get over this incredible animal. And I look over to Uncle Homer so I can share the experience with him. And he's not looking at me. His eyes are still on that falcon. And his eyes, Uncle Homer's, are dancing. And I said to myself right then, if I get to be Uncle Homer's age, which was at the time about 78, I want to be just like him and have that wonder and have that joy of seeing life right in front of him. So Uncle Homer, I owe you one. I don't go anywhere without my bongos. My wife says, aren't you ever gonna move those out of the bedroom? I have to practice, Virginia. I'm gonna use these bongos in just a second, but I need to give you a prelude to this bongo story. How many of you all went to grade school where you were in the same room all day long with the same teacher, grade school? Me too, except for one hour, one day a week. That's when a special teacher, a music teacher, came to our room and she got all the kids and she marched us down to her music room. Her job was to teach us two things. One, how to sing, and two, rhythm. You know, how to keep a beat. So she passed out two wooden sticks to each and every boy and girl in that class. And as we sang, we clacked our wooden sticks together. It was incredibly boring. <laughs> But to see the teacher had her own stick, one with a carrot on the end of it, because at the beginning of every single class, she passed out two special instruments. All right, kids, who wants to play triangle? I do, I do, I do. And she gave the triangle to a lucky boy or girl. All right, who wants to play tambourine? Raise your hand. I do. Pick me, please. She passed the tambourine to a lucky boy or girl. I don't know exactly how old I was, but I had had enough arithmetic by then to know that if the teacher passed out those two special instruments to a different boy and a different girl every week, then one of these days I was going to be picked to play the special instruments. Well, the weeks went by, and then the months I still hadn't been chosen, although I'd raised my hand like all the other kids every single week. Finally, it came down to the last music class of the whole year. All right, kids, who wants to play triangle? Raise your hand. And she gave the triangle to a girl. Hey, hey. That meant she was going to pick a boy to play that tambourine, and I knew which one it was going to be. So I became Mr. Smug. I do. I do. She took that tambourine and she stepped right toward me and she gave it to another boy. Oh. I never forgot that. Never forgot missing out on playing that musical instrument. Fast forward to just a few years ago. 
one of my closest relatives died, and she left me a great deal of money. And I took that money, and I went on Craigslist, and I bought these. I may have overpaid. I'm not sure. <laughs> I brought these bongos home. I'm not a musician. I don't know how to play bongos. So I stared at them for a few weeks. Yep, there they are. And then it finally dawned on me, wait a minute, you're a writer. Why don't you write a story about the bongos? So here we are. I'm about to deliver bongo love story number four. On the outside looking in, Dwayne was seen as a quiet man, you know, a man who likes to keep to himself. But you see, unbeknownst to those people who even bothered to pay attention to Dwayne, which weren't many, one reason Dwayne was so quiet was because he was listening to the little tapping sounds in his head. You know, bongo sounds. Of course, there was a bigger reason Dwayne was so quiet. You see, Dwayne was a lonely man, a very lonely man. One day, he was at the bus stop waiting for the bus. Head was down, looking at a... Look, listening to his bongos. He saw her. She looked exotic. She looked like no woman he'd ever seen before. She looked like she was made of races from all over the world. For example, she looked like she was part... African. Then again, she looked like she was part... British. Because she was complicated, she looked like she was part... Caribbean or Caribbean. She even looked like she was part, yes, Native American stereotype. And she even looked like she was Hawaii 5 Owen. Well, Dwayne wanted to say something to her, something to impress her, something like, uh, wow. You're the best-looking woman over 50 years old I've ever seen. Well, as I say, Dwayne was a quiet man, and luckily he kept his mouth shut on that one. <laughs> then came that day, that fateful day, that magical day. There was Dwayne at the bus stop, listening to that, those little tapping sounds again, head down. He looked up, and she was standing right in front of him. Well, the bus came. She climbed the steps, went to get her bus token. It wasn't there. What would she do? Dwayne saw his big chance. Here, he said, take mine. She turned to look at him, and Dwayne saw the most gorgeous jade green eyes he'd ever seen in his life. Are you sure? She asked. Oh, you bet I am, Dwayne said. Then Dwayne lied. I've got plenty. So she took his yellow bus token, gave it to the driver, went on to the back. Poor Dwayne, he didn't have any more bus tokens. He had to pay full price. Paid the driver and walked on back, and there she was, <clears throat> sitting on a bus seat all by herself. A bus seat made for two people.
Dwayne knew karma when he saw it. He walked on back. Mind if I sit there? He asked. She looked up at him coolly. It's a free country. So Dwayne sat down. Come on, man. Make some small talk with her. Small talk. Come on, Dwayne. Uh, my name is Dwayne. Oh, she said. My name is Asia. That's good. That's good, Dwayne said to himself. That's, that's a good start. Come on, Dwayne. Come on, the voice said. You goofed. Say something to her. You're going to lose her. <clears throat> uh, I'm a nuclear engineer. Her mouth fell open. You've got to be kidding. Well, what do you mean by that, Dwayne said. Well, Dwayne, Asia said, every time you get on the bus, you're lugging that big machine behind you. And if I'm not mistaken, that's an Eagle Model TZ 1500 pressure washer. Wow, Dwayne said to himself, this girl knew her pressure washers. Now he had to keep talking. Well, truth be told, he said, I'm a former nuclear engineer. <laughs> Remember that earthquake tsunami over in Japan about 10 years ago? Got laid off the very next week, like anybody needed any extra nuclear engineers after that. So, Dwayne, Asia said, what's with the pressure washer? Well, Dwayne said, after I got laid off, I got in the cleaning business. You know, scrubbing gang graffiti off public buildings. Matter of fact, right now I'm on my way downtown to Blast City Hall. So, after that day, Dwayne and Asia tried to sit on the same bus seat whenever they could. Well, summer turned into fall. <laughs> yes, romantic fall. Finally, Dwayne got his nerve up. He asked her out. She said yes. That Saturday night, he went to her condo to pick her up. Wow, Asia said. I feel like such a schoolgirl, Dwayne. It's, uh, it's like that old cliche about initial attraction being physical and all. And all, Dwayne said to himself, and all. So you're a simple girl from the Kentucky countryside. Not to brag, but I can read people really well. She stared at him for a long time. Finally said, close Dwayne, retired professor, romance languages, center college. Then she stabbed him in the heart. Don't get serious about me, Dwayne. I have issues. Issues, Dwayne half said to himself. All right, Dwayne, if you just have to know. Health issues. Health issues, Dwayne said. Dwayne, you may have noticed how exotic I look. Yes, Dwayne said, I have noticed that. How I seem to be made up of races from all over the world. Yes, I saw that, Dwayne said. Well, Asia said, unfortunately, that, that means I come from an ill-fated gene pool. A what? An ill-fated gene pool, Dwayne. 
That means I'm susceptible to race-related diseases from all over the world. Well, like where? Asia began. Like sickle cell from the Africans, like coronary artery disease from the Europeans, like Tay socks from, Dwayne had to hold her off. Wait a minute, what's Tay socks? Ashkenazi Jews. Like non-insulin dependent, dependent diabetes from the Pacific Islanders, like renal disease from the Native Americans, like systemic lupus from, Dwayne had to head her off, head her off. Just a second, he said, I'm not perfect. Oh no, Dwayne, what? Race-related diseases are you susceptible to? Twain had to think, think fast. Uh, well, uh, there's a, uh, Dwayne was not a fast thinker. Uh, there's a, I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, Asia said, rolling her eyes. I feel so bad for you, Dwayne. It's all my fault, she said. I shouldn't have let this get so serious, but... Dwayne, every time we're apart, I can't help but see that ruggedly handsome face of yours and that <laughs> impossible shock of strawberry blonde hair. Wait a minute, Dwayne said to himself. Yes, he had to admit he had a ruggedly handsome face, but he also knew that his hair was gray and thinning. He pointed his fingers at her eyes. So you have... Retinitis pigmentosa too, failing eyesight. Oh, just a touch. But you see, by then, Dwayne knew that he was in too deep. He knew that this was the girl for him. The way I see it, Asia, he said. Anything in life worth having is worth taking a chance on. Marry me. Dwayne, are you sure? Oh, you bet. Why, I could be out pressure washing something someday, you know, hit some bad wiring and get electrocuted. Dwayne, you do that for me? <laughs> no, silly. I mean, be part of my gene pool. Dwayne thought about the irony of it all. Thought about how healthy Asia looked whenever he watched her walk away from the bus stop. Finally, Dwayne said, I'm willing to take that chance. So, beginning that day, Dwayne and Asia started a new life together. One that was, when you think about it, kind of like a pair of bongos meant to be played together. And you know what? Dwayne and Asia lived forever after, happy. And Dwayne heard that beautiful music in his head for the rest of his life. That's the story. Well, thank you all for coming out. We'll be back. I think we'll be back here at this point next month. And Hannah Helm is going to be our storyteller. This is Hannah over here in her green shirt.
So I hope that you'll come and join us for Wandering Storytelling next week. Thanks for coming. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time. We want to thank the Kentucky Storytelling Association, the Wandering Storytellers, and Don Ray Smith for their appearance here today on Solution to Violence. Solution to Violence airs on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Today's program will be repeated March 29th and March 30th. The Solution to Violence program featuring Don Ray Smith and the Wandering Storytellers will be placed in our archives March 30th. To listen via our archives, visit us at forwardradio.org, scroll down to Program Archives, and then scroll down to the Solutions of Balance program that features Don Ray Smith. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our storytelling presentation here today featuring Don Ray Smith, you can reach us at the following email address, solutionsofbalance18 at gmail.com. I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. Thanks for listening.